Welcome to LifePoint Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. Malachi 3, verses 13 through 18. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Fear. A lot of us have different fears. But you know what the number one common fear of people is? Public speaking. (laughs) Public speaking. I am convinced that they have public speaking in eighth grade on purpose. A lot of eighth graders need to be put in their place and be humbled a moment. (laughs) I was one of them, deathly afraid of giving a three-minute speech on how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Deathly afraid. And you're laughing because many of you can relate with this, and uh, none more than my wife. She had a nightmare a couple weeks ago that she was all of a sudden scheduled to preach here in front of all of you. (laughs) And the service was running late, and she was scrambling for notes that she didn't have and a passage that she didn't know what she was going to preach on, and and things were getting later. And so she says, I don't have to do this, you know. And Zach says, no, I need you to set me up for next week when I'm preaching, so no. So now, no. No. It's my wife I'm talking about. Those of you who don't know her, but uh, yeah, we, we have uh, elder qualified up here, men who are preaching, so not, no, not, not for you to fear or anything like that. But the fear of being uh, presented in front of somebody to, to, to speak can bring a great fear that many of us are aware of and recognizing. And um, this passage that we're walking through today is, is talking about fear of the Lord again. So I'm going to get later into the passage. I'm going to be explaining and sharing with you some of uh, the words that we Uh, come across in the Old Testament when it comes to fear, but uh, sometimes we fear things that we shouldn't fear. And oftentimes, for those of us who call ourselves Christians who are found in Jesus, we are told not to fear. We are told not to fear. And in fact, when, uh, when Jesus appeared to his disciples, the first thing he says is, have no fear, fear not. Um, so we are going to learn what we are to fear and what we are not to fear here today, but mainly what to fear. Um, last week, uh, last week I was not with you guys. I was uh, not here, but I was able to hear the message from Zach uh, on the live stream uh, later, early, later this week, this past week. And uh, last week we got to hear in regards of giving finances, giving to the Lord, giving of our tithes and offerings, and uh, a message that God had for us through Zach. And um, you know, we learned that the heart of the problem is oftentimes the problem of the heart. And God wants our heart. And I was so refreshed to hear this morning that uh, one of the first people I came across this morning 
had a tithing envelope in his hand, and he says, I have not been tithing for years, but I'm bringing mine today. And I can't afford it, but I'm bringing mine today. And that was just a direct result of uh, the preaching of God's Word last week. So praise the Lord for that. God's doing a work in his heart. In this passage here today, though, God changes his tone from leniency to seriousness and divides the people into two groups. It's very easily seen there's two groups of people here. Uh, those who are not following him, they're more faithless. Sometimes uh, some commentaries call it evildoers. And those who are following him, what I'm calling more faithful. Those who are following him, more faithful, they're the, the latter group. Uh, those who are separated from him and those who are faithful to him. And I'll give a recommendation to those of you who are interested in commentaries that was helpful to me in my structure today. Christ-centered commentary on Malachi from Freeze, Rummage, and Galaty. Uh, great commentary to pick up and look at, even though we only have one more week in this series uh, next week. So looking at closing this thing out pretty soon. So I want to bring before us, as we see this passage, what's been shared with us, do our actions, do our attitudes uh, in service, do they matter to the Lord? Do our actions and attitudes in service matter to the Lord? And the quick answer to that is yes, they do. Just like when we ask our teenager to do the dishes or empty the dishwasher, uh, it's, it's not just a task that we want done, but how it's done is really what... Oftentimes, those parents are looking for, you know, how are they doing it? Are they just slamming dishes in the dishwasher and slamming the door shut and mad? Or are they doing it out of love and respect? So, do our actions and attitudes and service matter to the Lord? And we see, first of all, we see in this verses 13 through 15, we see unfaithful servants and they're expecting a payback. These unfaithful servants in Israel are expecting a payback. And they start off right away as God is reporting here in his words, he's reporting here what they are saying. God says, your words have been hard against me. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. That came out of their mouths. It is vain to serve God. Another word for vain could be useless. It is useless to serve God. It is futile to serve God. Because look, everyone else who is not serving God has more than we do. It's like the rain is falling on both sides and how can you be, be supplying rain, how can you be supplying abundance to those wicked evildoers? What's the point? What are we even doing this for? Some of these Israelites are saying, God is quoting them. God has been listening. He's been watching. And these people have been walking around in an act of, of being repentant, and their heads are down, and they're looking around, well, we've done this enough, we've done our drill, and did it even do anything? Did anybody get anything from God for doing this? They are looking for a bit of payback. Somewhat of a mentality of reciprocity. Of like when nation will do, work with, out a deal with another nation. Uh, if you do this, we'll do that. 
Maybe you've been a part of a, a very desperate plea to God yourself. Maybe back in the eighth grade in speech class of like, God, if you get me out of this, I will do anything for you. If you just let me, get me out of this. Or maybe the situation is get me into this. Help me make the team and I'll do anything for you. Help me be the star of the basketball team and I'll do anything for you. Help me get this promotion and I will do, I will, I will start memorizing scripture. I will do anything for you. So these unfaithful servants, they're expecting a payback. And usually these prayers are actually desperate. They're out of an act of desperation, but they're waiting. They were so, their, their heart was so into this repentance, it was so real, they expected to see something come back that was very real, very present. You know, you can, you can do the right thing with the wrong motive and miss the point completely. And that's what was happening with these people of Israel. That's what can happen with us. That's what, honestly, folks, that's what can happen with us. That's what can happen up here in our roles of serving. And there's many servants here on Sunday morning. You walked through a pile of them to get into this room. And there's five of them up there serving right, right now alongside me to make sure live stream is getting a view, make sure you got me in the lights and the sound is coming through and he's advancing the slides correctly and our children are all being taken care of by servants in the room right now, caring for your children. We have teachers who have been preparing their lessons through the week and weeks prior to prepare a lesson for you in the community life hour that follows, through the life group ministries that meet throughout the week, through the worship team that was up here leading us in worship. Team after team, person after person, this, this building is full of servants. You were greeted in the, as you came through the doors, hopefully warmly greeted by families and people who are serving, saying, welcome, come on inside. This coffee ministry that just started this year, they're, they're serious about their service. They met this past week. They gave up two hours of their time to meet 25 of them in a room, in a home, and we're getting their minds right, getting their hearts together and getting right. And we're praying for you to receive a cup of coffee and maybe bring your friend to church for a first time and they could have a, a free cup of coffee as a guest to this church and be able to say, this, you are valued, you are noticed, you matter here. So we have plenty of places of service here in the church which are created to be a service of love and discipleship and growth and maturity in the gospel. Uh, that's why we serve. Our ushers in the room to make certain everyone's got a seat, a safe seat, and, uh, you know, and that it's a place where we can hear the gospel. So many, there, there's a, a 70 to 80 people serving on a Sunday morning here in the church to make this happen. But sometimes our attitudes can start to get slippery and start sliding down a certain side of the hill that is not honoring to the Lord. You know, you think it's oftentimes, I've heard this in the past, I've been doing ministry for a long time now, and, and with, uh, say, I'll say the children's ministry. You know, we've got so many opportunities for people to serve and minister to our children. 
and they can stop looking at it as an opportunity and start looking at it as a slot to fill out of guilt or expectation or I should or do something like this. Really, it's an opportunity to, to love the Lord, to love those who are these children, to love them, to consider even before it gets to Sunday morning, it's Saturday night, and what are they doing? These, these children ministers are bowing their knees. And they got a list of 10 names that they're praying over. They're going to be hearing a lesson Sunday morning, and they want to hear it through the lens of, a, of the gospel that is good news. This is the opportunities we have to share, to serve, to love. But sometimes we can get busy with life and show up and say, what's, what's this that I need to regurgitate? And kids get set up, get, get, in, get in a circle here. We got to go through this. And you start marching through out of duty, expectation, or maybe even a little bit of payback. Let's take a look at what happens when we look. There's two inappropriate responses to following the law. And these responses will eventually lead a person to consider the law useless. The law, following the law. And the, and the Jewish people, they loved the law. They loved walking in law and they loved and observing the law. It provided them peace and safety. But sometimes it would become uh, one of two inappropriate responses. The first one I want to identify is the inappropriate response of license. License. Sometimes today we feel a, a license that we have been saved by grace, by our faith in Jesus. So since I've been forgiven of all my sin, past, present, and future, it really doesn't matter that I do what I want to do when I want to do it. Because I'm forgiven. I'm, I can kind of be licensed to, to do what I want. This is an inappropriate, the first of two inappropriate responses. And some people will really err all the way to the side and be more the, the minority that lives in abuse of the gospel. And they just live on license. Other people can kind of drift more closer to center where we want to be and struggle with license, struggle with certain sins, struggle with entertaining the old life, struggle with the old pattern of life that we want to revisit and, 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 and entertain. Uh, Romans, and Paul says this in Romans chapter 6, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? For these people who live in license, the law seems useless. What's the point? Why are we even doing this? You know, Jesus had something to say about this. If you turn in Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, please turn there with me. I want you to read this with me. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus has something to say to the people who are struggling with the spirit of license uh, to do whatever they want. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20, he had strong words for people struggling with this. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. 
But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He says that because he knows the scribes and the Pharisees are striving to be perfect in all they can do, and we know they, they fall very short. And if you have any question about that, Jesus says all the way later in verse 48 of the same chapter, he says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So if you think you can accomplish perfection, go for it. This is setting up the need for their need for a Savior. And my, how do we need a Savior? So the first inappropriate response. The first inappropriate response to the law is license. The second one is, starts with an L. What is it? Legalism. That's right. Legalism. Legalism is, is basically putting fences around the law. It could be said that way. It's putting fences around the law. So don't get too close to the law because you might sin. So we'll put a fence further out so you don't even get close to breaking the law. Now that's, that's more on this side of things. Some people will struggle and be, the, the minority of people struggling with legalism will be way over on this side and you'll, and you'll very easily see those people who are living legalistic lives. Um, it could be seen as uh, you know, people who want to remove themselves, remove themselves from all sense of temptations to sin. Um, uh, I'll never see a movie. I'm not going to a movie. I'm not going to support that at all. And, I'm, I'm, and you, want me to play, you want me to play slapjack with you? With cards? I'm not touching cards. It's gambling. I'm not going to touch it. Um, and more and more, you know, instances where they were just remove themselves out of a good intention of not wanting to break the law and sin, but they're making something out of uh, it was never meant to be. And a lot of times it's out of fear. Do we want to do the right thing. We want to make sure we do the right thing. And it wasn't... Um, and this was not the first case of it, of God speaking to these people about looking for some sort of payback, looking for some sort of um, reward for their obedience. This is not the first occurrence of this. And, and Wes, Pastor Wes, who is our host this morning, he was the one who um, a few weeks ago alerted me to this idea, uh, this sense of, of legalism, of building fences around the law started way early. Started way back in the Garden of Eden, back in Genesis chapter 3. You know, God had made his declarations clear. In fact, he made them to Adam before, Adam before Eve came on the scene. But when the snake came to tempt Eve, listen to what it said here. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden? God said you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Now according to her, not only is she not to eat it, but she's not even to touch it. And God never said that. He said, don't eat it. But she added on to that. She added a fence on it. He's like, don't even touch it. 
Don't even look at it. God said, don't eat from that fruit. That's what God said. You can do the right thing with the wrong motive and miss the point completely. And this is what Israel was doing. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 23, and I want to share with you what Jesus has to say about people who are, who are following this act of legalism. Jesus has words for those of us who struggle with legalism. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23 and 24. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin. If you were here last week, this is familiar to you. And have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Jesus has strong words for us. It's tempting to fall more on the legalistic side because you want to do the right thing. You want, to, you want to guard yourself. And in many times, those of us who have struggled with certain, certain things in life, it's wise to guard yourself, yourself, you. So maybe you have struggled with alcoholism and the effects of alcoholism. So therefore you're like, I am not going to have, I'm not going to participate with any alcohol. In fact, for me, it's good for me not to be in an environment where there is alcohol present for me. That's showing good judgment. That's showing uh, appropriate standards for yourself to be able to thrive in this life. You know, but to say alcohol is bad for all people because you'll end up like me, is getting more on this legalistic slide. Does that make sense? It's subtle and it's tempting. Jesus wants us to trust him at the center. Jesus wants us to find our gaze fixed on him. As we follow the feet of Jesus and our nose is getting the dust off his footprints, that is where he wants us to be. They missed the heart of why they were serving the Lord. That is what has happened in this little section here. God is speaking to his people, the prophet Malachi. They missed the heart of why they were serving the Lord. The first group is looking for what they, what the, the people who are looking for license are looking what they can get out of it, and people with legalistic tendencies are looking for what they can get out of it. A lot of people are looking for payback. So let's turn our attention to see about this second group. The second group. Faithful servants who find themselves fearing and revering the Lord. This is verses 16 through 18. Faithful servants fear and revere. There's three uh, Hebrew words for, in the Old Testament that is used uh, throughout the, the scriptures, a lot of times in Isaiah. The first one is pachad, pachad, dread or fear. That's what, that word, that's what that word means, dread or fear. Oftentimes it's interpreted dread or fear. This is, this is what Rhonda was feeling in her night terror about having to preach someday. Dreading it, terror, no way. Guts are tied up in knots. The second word that is often used is aras. And this is to be terrified, to be afraid. This is 
like the child, the, the young child whose mind, can, he cannot control his mind. He's in bed, and he's convinced there is a monster underneath his bed. Terrifying. There's a third word, Hebrew word, that is used that we are seeing happen here in Malachi. Like I shared, I preached uh, uh, back in Malachi chapter 2 is when we saw this word appear. And yare, to fear, to show reverence or respect. Um, reverential appreciation. This is how uh, uh, I referred a month ago as to how I would look towards my dad. Strong, uh, capable of doing mighty things, stand in awe, reverential awe. This is how God is sharing how we are to fear him. This is the Old Testament word for how we are to fear him. So you'll see this in verse 16, read along with me. It says, then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The people are speaking. People who fear the Lord, they're speaking one to another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. So this second group of people, they feared, they had a fear, and they revered the Lord. They esteemed his name. So how do we fear the Lord? Practically, how do we do this? How do we know we're staying within the guidelines of fear in the Lord? We can all agree it's important to fear the Lord, but how do you do this with appropriateness? How do you know you're on point? And I listened to a sermon by Pastor John Piper some 30 or 40 years ago, and he came up with a line. Listen to this. I got it on the screen for you. I'm going to read it twice. Try to wrap your mind around us. The fear of the Lord is to tremble at the prospect of dishonoring him by distrust or disobedience. Let me read it for you again. Snap a picture if you want to take this home with you. The fear of the Lord is to tremble at the prospect of dishonoring him by distrust or disobedience. When I read this passage of scripture from Malachi, and, I'm, and, I, and, I, and I read this quote from John Piper, I think we have much to gain, much to grow in our fear of the Lord. Too often, I think, we rely too heavily upon um, the fact that we have been forgiven and we can err more on license side. But when we fear, when we fear the Lord as if to the point of trembling at the prospect of distrusting Him or disobeying Him, and what does that look like? Uh, disobedience can look like I want you to go and invite your coworker out to lunch. You've been praying for him for 12 years, and you have yet to share the gospel with him. Share it today. That can be a point of obedience or disobedience. And do we tremble at the, at the fear of disobeying, disobeying, not trusting? This is an opportunity for us to grow in our acts of service, whether we're serving our children on Sunday mornings and preparing to do so throughout the week, or our youth, or ushering, or greeting, or teaching our life groups, or our DTMs, or preparing for our Sunday mornings. 
are we doing so with a great, tremendous fear and reverence for the Lord? First, rather than what we can get back from it, whether it's a nod of thanks for doing it or you're fulfilling your membership duties or you're doing this and that, eventually God will give you a, a, a windfall of, of abundance, something. Or do we serve out of great fear for the Lord, of great reverence for the Lord because he's allowed us to come alongside him. He's allowed us to be able to participate. As believers, we should never cringe in trepidation of, of, or terror of God. As believers, we shouldn't do that. We, we don't have that any longer. We can stand in humility before the Lord. We can stand in humility before the Lord. And a precious passage that we have in Hebrews chapter 4, read this with me. I think it's on the screen. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The throne of grace we can approach with confidence because of the blood of Jesus. Those of us who have faith in Jesus and have repented of our sins, we can approach with confidence. Without the blood of Jesus, great terror, great fear will fill everyone. He is holy, he is holy, he is holy. Let me conclude with four promises for those who fear the Lord. And it's straight here in the scriptures. Verse 16, God will hear those who fear him. Not only will he hear you, he will uh, pay attention, the scriptures say. God will hear those who fear him. Verse 17, God will claim those who fear him. You'll be claimed. It's his possession. An heir of the Father of, of all the heavens. Third, second half of verse 17, God will spare those who fear him. You'll be spared. And lastly, God will distinguish the faithful from the faithless. For those who fear him. You'll be distinguished. You'll be set apart. The New Testament says you'll be saved. You'll be forgiven of all your sin. God's covenant demands a response from his people. And those that fear God will be set apart as his treasured people. That's what this passage is sharing with us. It's a covenant God has set up with us. Each of us do our portion. God's covenant demands a response from his people. And those that fear God will be set apart as his treasured people. This passage has delivered to me is I am just so grateful for Jesus. So grateful for Jesus. So grateful that I am born and allowed to live in this time period of our lives, of this creation of this world. So thankful for Jesus. Without Jesus, it's just something to revel in the grace of God, of His Son, a gift of God to us.
that even while we were still sinners, Christ died. Did not wait for me to somehow come off this scale of, of license to legalism to, and, to, and to get it just perfectly right on the dot and live that way f- for the rest of my life. He didn't wait for that. He loved me. He loved you. Each one of us has a lengthy, filthy list that needs forgiveness. And he's faithful to provide it. He's provided his son Jesus. He's provided his son Jesus to each one of us. To the world. To every man, woman, and child. To all races. To all people groups. Jesus is provided. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for new life in Jesus an opportunity to start with you. We realize that we can do nothing in our own, but we look to you to be our leader, to be our guide, to help us to stay off the side of of license and doing what we want and stay off the side of legalism and holding ourselves to standards that are not yours. Help us to walk in the grace and truth of Jesus day by day. So, Father, thank you for this opportunity to to celebrate new life in Jesus, to celebrate what you are doing. And we ask that, God, that you would be made much of as we glorify your name. We love you and we celebrate your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.